Well, that was tremendous, huh? Sobering. Just felt like we should give Corey the entire uh, hour here this morning to help us to be engaged and know how we can best respond. Well, I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and I wanted you to see that there is an actual outline available for you in the bulletin, so I encourage you to have that in hand as we go through this topic of forgiveness. And even as they were sharing about that, you know, it brought to my mind, uh, just over the years of doing what I do, remember uh, in our first church way back, we had a family there that were leaders, and I've shared some of this with some of you, but just to stir my own mind again about that, where one of those leaders in our church, he ended up molesting his two little preschool daughters, and you think about things like that as to how in the world, how in the world do people do what Destiny's Child is rescuing people from, and how does this man who grew up in the church, leader in our church, end up doing such a terrible thing to his daughters? And as a result of that, he ended up going to prison. He was there sentenced for, six, for three, three years, served 18 months on good behavior and got out. And then when he got out, um, he and his wife met with me and uh, tried to reconcile their marriage, but it didn't work out so well. And then his wife asked me this question that sort of still sticks in my mind. Uh, how, how can I forgive my husband for what he has done to my family? And how do I know when I have actually forgiven him for what he's done? Because he destroyed that family. And there's much more to the story than that. But that question that came to my attention through her is, is a constant concern for those of us who want to do God's will. We want to be followers of Jesus. We want to do the right thing. And sometimes we're not quite sure what that looks like. And so this morning, we're going to look in God's Word, and I'm going to show you what God says about how do we know that when we have forgiven someone, and what does forgiveness really look like? If I say to that man who molested his two daughters, I forgive you, what am I really saying to him? Is it just those words that I have forgiven him? Or is there something more to it? Am I dismissing the sin that he committed? You know, what does that look like? What if he didn't even confess that he was a sinner? In fact, he said it felt natural and normal to me. I didn't know it was wrong. I mean, you think, what is going on in his mind? And uh, so how, how do you learn to forgive that? So on the outline, you will find great help for you or maybe a friend of yours that is struggling with that. But this morning, this is the journey to forgiving others. And there are three points that I think the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going through the series called Better Together. In Ephesians chapter 4, he is addressing this topic where he says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so he lands there in the forgiveness. And so I'm going to take the preceding verses as sort of a preface or a prelude or a setup to that bottom line to forgive others as God has forgiven you and show you in this way the journey to forgiving others. And it begins 
by a miraculous event. It, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives me capacity to do what I naturally don't feel like doing. If you have been wounded or wronged by another person, like these two daughters that have to grow up knowing that their father had done this thing to them, how do they forgive their father? If they have an inclination, a desire to be biblical followers of Jesus, how does that forgiveness work in them? It begins as a miracle of God because most of us, we have no desire to forgive people who have done those things because we think they're getting away with it, and we don't think that's right. So the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He is part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us when we become a follower of Jesus. As soon as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we are forgiven by God, then the Holy Spirit comes upon us and somehow seals us. Not something we can see, not something we can feel, but it's something that God does. And there's a great example of that in Revelation 7 where he seals 144,000. And you see that description of God saying, I'm, I'm hovering above them and protecting them and nothing can touch them. So the Holy Spirit seals us until the day that he finally re fully redeems us. We're only partially redeemed holy. We're redeemed in our hearts. We're not fully redeemed in our minds because we still think things we shouldn't think. And we're not redeemed in our body because it's constantly deteriorating. So that day of redemption is when body, mind, and soul is fully redeemed, Romans 8. And so he sealed us to protect us so that we get to that day. And what happens in that sealing, sometimes as we live that life, we grieve him. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? In fact, there's two ways we deny the Spirit's power. And many of you may know this, but we grieve him. And that's why he says this here in this passage in, Roman, in Ephesians 4. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, if you just go back, you can see some of the ways that we might grieve the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, don't lie. In verse 26, being angry constantly. In 28, stealing from someone. In 29, unwholesome words proceeding from my mouth. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And then bitterness and wrath and anger clamor and slander and malice. That grieves the Holy Spirit. So when I have unrepentant sin, I grieve Him. And the word grieve is the simply word that when we see someone we don't like or we experience the death of someone, we experience the disappointment for someone, there's a sense of grief. There's pain. The Holy Spirit feels that kind of pain. When you and I sin and we refuse to repent, He grieves. And when we grieve Him, we also run the risk of quenching Him. First Thessalonians 5.19 Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And those who quench the Holy Spirit are those who refuse to receive biblical truth to guide their lives. There are lots of people that you tell them, here is what you should do. Here's what you need to do. Want to save that marriage? Want to repair that relationship? Want to restructure that business? Want to somehow heal yourself of something that's not going well? Well, here's what God says. This is the biblical de design for that. And then the person says, no, I'm not going to do that. You've quenched the Holy Spirit. Because God has a lot of truth that guides us in our journey. So there's two ways that we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. We deny His power in our lives, and it makes it impossible to forgive someone that we don't want to forgive. So Paul says, have the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him, don't quench Him. 
and you will have power to do what you can't do naturally in your human strength. The second thing that you need to do to be on the journey to forgiveness is to put away certain things. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. And the word there is A-I-R-O, arrow. So I, I, I think about that Greek word for, for putting away. It's like to lift it up. Literally it says lift it up off of you. Take it away from you. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. Just lift it off of you along with all malice. Don't let it be part of you. So let me, let me just touch on some of those words, uh, what the Scriptures teach us about these words. For example, bitterness. The word bitterness, the Greek word, is the, the, the root of that means to prick or to cut. And so bitterness is this idea of a long-standing resentment. It is refusing to reconcile. It is bearing this burden constantly and not being released from it. In fact, it has a literal sense of a pungent smell. There's a good illustration of a bitter person. If you go way back in the Old Testament, there was a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi and her husband Elimelech were uh, from the area of Bethlehem. They were followers of Jehovah God in, in Israel. And there was a famine in the land. So they go to an outside country called Moab. There they wanted to find food and start over again. So they left their friends and family and went to Moab. As a result of Naomi and Elamelech going there with her two sons, uh, these two sons found two Moabite women to marry. So they married them. In that journey of going to Moab and landing to Moab, Elamelech dies. Naomi's husband dies. And then her two sons die. And then Naomi says, okay, I've got to go back home because I've got no one here but these two daughters-in-law. I don't even know they're going to stick with me because they're Moabites. They want to stay in their own land. So she begins to travel back, and the one daughter-in-law says, yeah, I'm going to stay in Moab. As she travels back, the other daughter by the name of Ruth travels back with her. So they go back to their homeland. And when she arrives back in her homeland, this is the story right here in Ruth 119. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, Hebrew word for bitter. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, husband, two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. No husband, no sons. There's no welfare system there. They're on their own. And often the women have to resort to the kind of things we saw in Destiny's Child. Or Destiny's Child. Destiny's Rescue. What's wrong with me? Destiny's Child. That is a music group? Where does that come from? I didn't even listen to that. Why is that sticking in my brain? I went out full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Then it goes on. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi is bitter. Paul says, put away bitterness. What is bitterness? If you look at Naomi's story, you did a little study of her life. This is what you would see. These are the traits of bitterness. It's rooted in a sense of loss and rejection. 
She felt as though God has rejected her. Her husband's died. Sons died. One daughter-in-law left her, stuck with another daughter-in-law who's a Moabitess, and Moabites are not really that welcome in the uh, Jerusalem uh, confines in the area of Bethlehem. She's on her own. There's no system to support her. There is no social security. There's no disability. There's no welfare. She has nothing. She feels rejected. And when you carry that sense of loss and rejection, where somebody's against you, maybe it's in a divorce, Maybe it's a child that has parents who are divorced. Maybe it's a boss that has fired someone. Maybe it's a neighbor that has turned their back. Maybe it's someone's betrayed. Who knows? But there's a sense of loss or rejection. And then the traits that come out of that bitter attitude, the mara of the Hebrew word, are traits of blame and critical spirit, alienation. Notice Naomi says, stay away from me. I want nothing to do with you. As the community, is that Naomi? Is that really you? Leave me alone. I am a bitter woman. And there's a sense of emptiness. I went out full. I came back empty. And there's this resentment against God. Paul says, put that away from you. Deal with the sense of loss and rejection. Don't let that destroy your heart. Because when you're a bitter person, you're not a forgiving person. And when you're not a forgiving person, God holds that over you. And so this bitterness, Hebrews 12 says it this way, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. God's grace for those who experience loss and rejection. Those who have bitter attitudes, God's grace is there for them. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Bitterness, this, remember the, 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 the root word is P-I-K, and it means to cut or to prick. Bitter people, they cut people around them, metaphorically speaking. Because they have this bitter attitude of rejection and loss that is portrayed in blaming and shaming and rejection and alienation and sense of emptiness. And life is unfair. And there are difficult people to be around. I remember thinking of our first church of a family. And this woman came up to me one time and said, I'm an angry person. And that's just the way I am. Sort of like, so live with it. And what was interesting to me is I talked to her husband. Um, he says, yeah, she gets really angry sometimes. In fact, so angry, sometimes I just have to walk away and leave the house because she's miserable to be with. Their daughter grew up, felt the sense of loss and rejection, became impregnated by her boyfriend, had a baby out of wedlock. And it was sort of this bitterness that began to defile the rest of the family. I'm not putting it all on her. She, her story is that her father had done terrible things to her. So there was this root of bitterness that was put upon her by the rejection of a father that now is defiling her own family. It's devastating. Paul, long before psychology was ever thought of in the way we think of it today, said, you need to put this away. You need to deal with this. Let the grace of God begin to backfill the emptiness and the alienation because bitter people are unforgiving people and they defile. 
the people that try to help them. So Paul begins with bitterness because it's such a devastating attitude of destruction, and he wants to help. He wants to find redemption for those people. And then we've talked about wrath and anger on the list that Paul has here in the text. So I'm not going to go into that. We had a message on that a few weeks ago. And then he says, put away clamor. Clamor, I put the Greek word on on the screen, K-R-A-U-G-E. It's grog! And the reason it's krog, they say, there's a a fancy, real long, mini-syllable word for this, because the Greek word sounds like the actual act of doing it, like a, and they say in, in those days, like a loud cry of a crow. Grog! That's how they called, you are a crog, because you sound like a crow with your clamor, your loud assertion of an angry person. Yesterday I'm riding my bike out Santiago Canyon Road, and I, there's two women in front of me, so what you do, I give you good manners, on the left. And so I yelled that and then went around them. So I went around the first person in that line, and as I got in front of her, she really loud, like a crog sound. <laughs> do you see that? I was just going to move over to the left, and he came right by me, and he never told me he was going to pass me. And she bawled me out. Well, that's crog. I wanted to turn around and say, crog. But I didn't think it would look good for me to get into an entanglement with her. And so I just kept on riding. Um, but that's this clamorous, loud assertion of an angry person. And no one wants to be around that. Put it away. Put it away. Put away slander. The word slander, that I, I'm just always intrigued by these Greek words, is blasphemia. We know the word blaspheme someone. And blasphemia is actually made up of two words, and I put them on the screen, just, and I hope you like language like I do. Blapto, which means to injure, and uh, phemi means speech. S- slander or blasphemy is speech that injures. It damages someone. My words, I can never get them back. But when they go out, they damage people. Paul says, put it away. Don't do that. Stop. You may need something to help you do that, but just stop doing it. In those days, Paul said, just stop. Put it away. So put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put it away because it comes out of an evil heart, along with all malice. Malice goes to the intention. Now, we'll say things that we shouldn't have said, and it's just, what were you thinking when you said it? But too often what we say is out of an evil heart. Because I really do want to hurt someone. I am really angry with someone. Or I want to yell at someone, clamor. I want to slander someone. Because they so upset me. So Paul says, I want you to put those away. When you put those away, then you're beginning to position yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit that you don't grieve because you put it away, that you don't quench because you put it away. When you get the power of the Holy Spirit, you put those things away. Then you position yourself as the kind of person that is able to forgive people that you think you could never be able to forgive. So first of all, you've got to address all the things you've got to put away. Why do I have this bitterness? Why do I have this wrath and anger? Why am I a slanderous person putting other people down, slandering them, injuring them with my words? Why am I doing those things? Begin to understand the dynamic of a heart 
that is caught up in those attitudes and behaviors. And once you do, you begin to put it away. It's no longer part of me. I'm not just that kind of person like the woman from Corona. I'm, I'm just an angry person. That's just the way I am. No, we need one to address that. Where did that come from? Because it's defiling people. So, once that's all put away, then you understand something new. You understand and live a life of forgiveness for the others just as Jesus has forgiven you. Where Paul comes to this part. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other. What's the standard for forgiveness? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so that's a powerful model. Jesus forgives everybody who comes and asks for forgiveness. No one is exempt. We get it all if you ask, and you really mean that, of course. And so he says, that's, that's how I want you to live your life. So what does it mean to do these things? First of all, it's a heart of kindness. The word kind suggests these words. The word behind the word of these. It's doing what is good. It's being virtuous. It's, it's being mild and pleasant. It's not being hard or harsh or sharp or bitter. It's learning to look outward for others, not inward. Kindness draws people. It's a, it's a behavior that draws people to where they need to be. There's something attractive about kind persons, right? There's something very attractive, unattractive about bitter people. We don't want to be around bitter people that we work with, that we live next door to. But you have a kind neighbor, it draws you in. That's why Romans 2.4, Paul wrote this, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God knows if he's just a big ogre up there squishing people who don't do things that he wants them to do, and he's just sort of a bitter, angry God, He's not going to draw anybody to himself, and that's not who he is. God is a God of kindness. It's his kindness that says, I want to know more about you, and I'm sorry for the sin that I've done. And when you have a neighbor or a friend or a spouse or a child or a parent who are unrepentant, don't judge them. Don't shame them. Be kind to them. Because kindness... The kindness of God, for me, led me to repentance. The kindness of me may lead someone else to repentance. So I've put away bitterness. I've put away slander. put away anger, wrath, and blasphemy. i put away all those things, and I've become a kind person. I'm the kind of person, then, that is in a position to forgive others. And God delights in that. Secondly, be tender-hearted. And again, I throw the Greek word on the screen. I'm not trying to be fancy or smart because I'm not either of those. But it's made up of two words. E-U is the, is the Greek word for good or well. Like you logos. Or it's well. Splankton is the seat of my heart or sometimes it's described as your bowels, your stomach, your digestive system. So Paul's going to the very core. You know, if you're upset about something and your heart becomes hardened and you feel the stress of a hard, hardened condition, it goes right to the gut. And we have digestive problems. That's why Paul talks about this. I want you to have a tender heart. I want your heart or your bowels, I want them to be good. I don't want them to be poisoned 
by a bitterness or wrath or anger, slander or uh, clamor. Says, Those will cause your, your stomach and your digestive system to be bad. But a kind person has a heart that is tender towards people so that it feels better. It's the seat of my passions where I have a good heart that feels for people. And we carry that well. It's a good thing. So if I'm going to be a forgiving person, I need to have a kindness to my behavior, a tenderness to my feelings so that I can do this, forgive. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven me. Now let me, let me just dissect this just a little bit. I'm going to dig down a little bit deeper on this word for forgive. The word for forgive is another Greek word. Sorry if you don't like Greek words is charismai. We get the English word charismatic from it. And it's rooted in the Greek word charis, grace, charis. When Paul says, I need for you to forgive people, and I don't care what they've done. Paul didn't make some sort of condition. Well, you can forgive those people who do those things, but you can't. You don't have to forgive those people that do those things. He says, just forgive. So it's sort of a blanket statement. It's not like I'm exempt from certain behaviors that I have to forgive. You forgive them all. Because God's forgiven you, you forgive them. So charismai, Paul is saying, what I am able and should do is to simply show grace, show favor, show kindness. That's all that it is. It's that kind of an attitude that he wants us to have. When we think about this Greek word charis, I'm reminded of uh, on our staff, Matt and Marilee Davis. Uh, they have a little girl whose name is Karis. You've ever seen her? She's got this bright red hair, and she's got a uh, spunk to her that goes right with it. And she's got an older brother. His name is Jed, and Jed's got a lot of. Uh, he's just a very fun, loving, bright young man who has very few filters on his mouth. <laughs> and. Uh, Joy teaches second hour. Last Sunday, she teaches every Sunday, but last Sunday she was there in her class, second grade, and Jed's in her class. And so Jed always has an answer. He's always got something to say. So last Sunday, they're teaching on forgiveness, interestingly enough. And they quote the, the words of Christ that 70 times, how, how many times should I forgive someone? 70 times, seven times. Well, if you do the math, that's 490 times. So Jed said, well, I've forgiven my sister Karis 500 times. Can I stop forgiving her now? <laughs> and Joy just took it all in stride. And I, I think Jed just given her a little jazz there. He obviously, it doesn't mean it literally, I think. But uh, in any case, you know, we, we want... We want to find ways to not have to do it <laughs> all the time we should do it. You know what I mean? We, we want to have a cap. I've forgiven you so many times, I feel like I, feel like I shouldn't have to do it anymore. <laughs> you know? And the fortunate thing is that God never looks at me. He says, Dave, I've forgiven you 490 times. Next time you're done. He didn't do that. I still come back and he still gives me. He gives to me forgiveness. So he wants us to forgive like charismai. I gave to you an email this last week. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to take a look at it because that really essentially what I told you, the story of Dr. Robert Smith. 
He's a pastor for 44 years. And I'm not going to go through the whole email, but the long and short of what I put in there is that he had a son who I believe was about 34 years old working in a restaurant, getting, just getting by. Melanite armed robber comes in, shoots and kills his son. So they had to walk that journey of grief. He had a wife, courtroom, sent to prison for many, many years. And Dr. Smith said, you know, many times I preached a sermon like the one I'm preaching right now on forgiveness. And God spoke to me that I should forgive that man who killed my son. It took him two years to write a letter, send it to this prisoner. It took two years for the prisoner to write back. So in that four years of time, a correspondence came back from the man who killed his son. And in a message that followed, Dr. Smith said this. I want you to read what he said about why he forgave his son's killer. Well, the Lord just kept working on my heart because the Lord let me see what it took for him to forgive me. He let me see what a mess I was. He let me understand that when he forgives, he forgives unconditionally. He wanted me to understand that if you ever want to get beyond this, you've got to forgive that you can't do it on your own. So I wrote this young man because I wanted to be on his visitation list. I want to go up to tell him about Jesus. I want to let him know that if I love him, I want this young man and my son to hug together in heaven one day. Because forgiveness is not difficult. Forgiveness is impossible without God. What an attitude. He says, I want this man who killed my son to hug my son in heaven someday. That is charisma. That is kindness. That is grace. That is favor. That is what Paul invites us into. If we've put away bitterness, we can put on charisma. We can put on favor. Now, sometimes the question may come up like this. Well, what if this prisoner never repents of killing Dr. Smith's son? Is his forgiveness of this prisoner giving him forgiveness to wipe away a sin that he committed when he doesn't even admit he committed a sin? I don't know whether he admits it or not, but let's say theoretically he never admits it. What if you have a friend that never admits they're wrong? You've got to forgive them and they sort of get away with it? Nah, I don't, I don't want to play that game. Well, here's the answer. Next slide. Paul is saying, I want you to give charisma, which is an act of kindness, grace, and favor. That's what Paul's asking for you. There's another Greek word for forgiveness. And it's on the screen there. It's pronounced aphiomi. Fiume comes from two Greek words, apo, which is the Greek word from, and hymi, which is the Greek word to send. Aphiomi is the Greek word which means to send my sin from me. When God, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful just to forgive you of your sins, that's aphiomi. 
God sends my sin from me. To send a sin from someone is something God does. So, going back to Dr. Smith and his son, if theoretically this prisoner never admits to the sin that he committed, God didn't say, go afiami him. God said, go charismai him. Dr. Smith can no longer, can no more send that sin from him than you and I can. But Dr. Smith can go and be kind, gracious, and show favor. That's forgiveness. That's what it looks like. That's what God invites us into. And if I put away bitterness, clamor and slander, wrath and anger, I'll be doing that. So what is forgiveness, or what is forgiveness not, I should say? It is not forgetting. You can't forget what someone has done to you. Dr. Smith will never forget the night the police called and said his son had been killed. We had a woman in our church in Lodi. She came up to me and shared, I was raped X number of years ago. I just wanted you to understand kind of where I'm, my story, where I'm coming from. She's a delightful, loving, gracious God-honoring Christian woman, she and her husband both sweethearts, sweethearts in our church. But she said, this man did this to me, and I've forgiven him, but I can never forget the violation that I felt that night. God is not asking us to forget things that we can't forget. If I can't forget it, have I forgiven them? Yes. If charisma is my behavior kindness. It is not saying that's okay. We're not saying it's okay. Some years ago when Joy and I were up in the Orange Mall up here, there was a little scene that was created in the mall, and it was like a little farmyard. And so there's these people with puppets. And there was a woman with a cow puppet. And the cow puppet, you know, she's behind the scenes, but she just had the little cow puppet, and the cow was talking to people who would walk by. So I'm standing there watching a little cow puppet talk to people who would walk by. And this little kid, like seven years old, walks up to the cow puppet, and he just smacks it right in the face. <laughs> I'm sitting there, wow, what's with this kid? Man, what, where's he? what's wrong with his family, you know? I don't know what's going on there. And his mother sees this. And so the mother comes up to his little seven-year-old son and says, you need, you need to ask for forgiveness from that cow. <laughs> and there's something sort of bizarre about the whole thing. But it's in a serious way, it's, it's, it's concerning, you know. And she says, I'm not going to forgive. No, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. So the kid became very stubborn. He was not tenderhearted, he was hardhearted. And he never, he never asked for forgiveness. Never said he was sorry. And the puppet was still trying to talk to him. You know, it's interesting that the actress behind the puppet never broke never broke from her, what do they call it, never broke character. There you go. Thank you for helping me. And then the mother finally said this. Or no, the, the, the cow, I can't remember the story. The cow, the cow, sorry, the person behind the cow said to the little boy and to the mom, oh, that's okay. And the mother said, no, it's not. And she's right. It's not ever okay to do what's wrong. Forgiveness is not saying, I have forgiven you, so therefore it's okay. It's not okay. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not removing the sin from the other person. A feeling is that. 
So what is forgiveness? It is being gracious and kind. It is not expecting the debt to be paid. It will never be settled. The score will never be even. You will never feel as though life is fair again. Not in respect to that. There will always be probably a little bit of you that hurts. But God says, I'm inviting you into charisma. The kindness that I have given to you, a favor and grace, I invite you to give it to others. I'm not asking you to take their sin away and say it's okay. I'll do that. All I ask you to do is be a representative of mine, to forgive them as I have given to you grace and kindness. Give it to them. And there's a lot of stories out there. This last year has been a tough year for law enforcement and for certain segments in our community where there's been wrong done behind the badge, white officers, black victims. I want you to see a news report of a white officer who did the wrong thing to a black man. I want you to see what God does when he gets in control of bad things that people do. So take a look at this video. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail. Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated. But he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town. Maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, You know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, I don't deserve that, you know. Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder (laughs) mankind. 
He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. All right, isn't that great? And that's charisma. Not dismissing it, not okay, but kindness, grace, and favor. It's beautiful. Why? Because Christ got a hold of them. When the Spirit of God directs me, like Dr. Robert Smith or these two gentlemen, things change because he causes me to do what I don't want to do naturally. So, don't grieve the Spirit. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, clamor, malice, and put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and a forgiveness of charisma, where God's grace goes through you to others and blesses them. Let me pray for us. We're going to receive the offering now as a way to express our thanks to God for what He's done for us and the blessing He's given to us, and we look to Him for now. In Jesus' name, Father, we come to You, that You would bless us with capacity to be the kind of people that Paul instructs us to be in this text, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving as You have forgiven us. Help us, Father, to live that life. We don't know today, we don't know tomorrow or next week or next year what way you may ask us to deal with these areas. But, Lord, help us to be found obedient and faithful to you, to live this life in the strength of your Holy Spirit who gives us capacity until the day of redemption to live this new life. Thank you, Father, for the offering, for everyone led by the Spirit of God to give in words and in deeds and in finances. Thank you, Father, for the grace of each one who gives now as we bring it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.